Now getting right to it, all right? Jude, y'all, is a, um, it's a very contentious book. Uh, in this book, you are called to bear arms. Uh, in this book, you're called to put up a good fight for the faith, to contend for the, for the faith. It is written by Jude. Who is Jude? Hey, Jude. Thank you. I had to get that in there somewhere. Well, Jude, Jude was the brother of James. Um, James, you know, wrote the epistle of James and, 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 uh, and uh, the half-brother, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So, check it out. He was the son, Jude was the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus, of course, was born uh, of Mary, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph had children of their own, right? And this is Jude, also called Judas. But not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, because, you know, Judas, that's the Judas who betrayed Jesus. No, this was a different Judas. Uh, this Judas, also called Thaddeus, uh, was one of Mary and Joseph's kids. Uh, here he goes by the shortened name, uh, name Jude. Uh, the brothers of Jesus, the family of Jesus, James and Jude, check this out. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Did y'all know that? Isn't that crazy? They it's, it's crazy. John 7 specifically tells us that they sort of chided him. And they told him to go to Jerusalem and, you know, if, if Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, you know, go show yourself, make a show, you know, do a miracle or something, right? It says this in John 7, for his brothers did not believe in him. They actually didn't believe in him until Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. After the resurrection, Jesus made himself, uh, made, I'm sorry, yeah, he made himself known. He, he made a special appearance uh, to his half-brothers. Now check it out, Jude identifies himself, if you notice in verse 1, he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. You can see that right there in your Bibles, right? Verse 1. Isn't that interesting, though? Neither he nor his brother James claimed familial, like, family relationship with Jesus when they penned and wrote their letters. They didn't claim that. Y'all, I feel like if I was the brother, let alone half-brother of Jesus, having the same mom, I would totally brag about that. <laughs> I would totally brag. I would just, I would start my letters, dear people. <laughs> not, not a big deal. Not a big deal. But the maker of the universe who, uh, who saved you from eternal damnation, yeah, <laughs> we share the same mom. <laughs> share the same mom. Meaning he's totally my brother. He's, he's, he's it. He's my bro. I mean, listen, I also, it made me think like if, as, as brothers, if they got picked on in school, I would totally use this against the bullies. Like, listen, you punk bully, you, you may rethink stuffing me in a locker because my, my brother can literally just obliterate you, just destroy you. Uh, no, but really, I, 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 check it out. It, it would be pride, it would be pride that would have nudged right? Push Jude and James uh, to include the fact that they were brothers to the Messiah. But instead, instead of pride, it was reverence. And, and, and a true understanding of Jesus's divine identity, y'all, it motivated Jude and James, for that matter, to humility. It motivated them to humility and to consider themselves as only 
his servants. Y'all, that's so powerful. Um, If you truly know who Jesus is, pride doesn't have any room in your signature. Any room. Now, the Bible tells us he, Jesus, after his resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 of his followers. 500. Then he appeared to his brothers. Uh, Then he appeared to some of the uh, the other uh, apostles. So it was probably at the appearance of Jesus after his death and resurrection that James and Jude placed their faith in him. Um, It was that shift in perspective. I love that. They had a massive shift in perspective that motivated Jude to define himself not as the brother of the Messiah, but a servant of Jesus Christ. If I were to give the the book of Jude a name, um, I would call it the Acts of the Apostates. Right? We have the Acts of the Apostles, but we, this is the Acts of the Apostates. So what is an apostate? An apostate is one who renounces a belief, in particular, a religious belief. That's what an apostate is. So these are the people that Jude is writing against, y'all, in actually very, very direct terms, very direct terms. Not a whole lot of lovey-dovey here, y'all. Like not a lot of whole lot of lovey-dovey, but just like right to the point, right to the heart, Y'all, it's a call to arms. It's a call to fight. It's actually not what Jude started out to write, though. Did you notice that? Check it out. Jude, by his own admission, if you follow along, verse 3 in your Bible, verse 3, it's not on the screen, but look in your Bibles. Verse 3, Jude, by his own admission, he began to actually write a devotional. Literally, just a short little devo on salvation. Uh, Verse 3, I'm just going to read it real quick. Let me turn there real quick. Verse three, he said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Interesting, right? So he just was, he, you know, he, he was going to write a little devo on salvation, but he was compelled, uh, he was compelled to write to the church that you need to fight for the faith once for all. It wasn't what he wanted to write initially, but he was compelled by the Spirit of God to write this. You know, although Jude is the fifth, you know, shortest book of the Bible, it, it yet punch, uh, punches, uh, uh, packs a big punch. <laughs> punches a big pack. Anyways, uh, I just want to read something else to you before we go through this. You know, you might, you know, as we go through these 25 verses, and I encourage you to read it on your own uh, later as well. Um, you might think, man, like, what's wrong with this dude? Like, is there something up with him? You know, um, but just to prove that Jude wasn't like having a bad day or something like that, uh, let me briefly show you something else. Paul the Apostle wrote actually something very familiar to the Galatians. It's on the screen. This is on the screen for you. Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 7. Paul wrote this. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but... There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Like my wife, Tina, y'all, Tina, uh, a few weeks ago taught and showed us, is this in an awesome way, this, this passage. Um, he, she showed us a few weeks ago, Paul was writing against a different group here. Cool? Paul, Paul is writing to legalists and, and, and Judaizers and those who are adding to the gospel, changing the meaning of the truth, compromising and perverting the truth. But there is a principle here that, that is actually the same between Jude and Paul. Look at what Paul later says, just the next verse, Galatians 1.8. But even if we, or it, but even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
Y'all, that's pretty strong. He goes on to say, Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. All right, so now let's go back to Jude 3. Right? I'm going to read it again. Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Did you notice a term in there? To contend for what? The faith. The faith. This term, everlasting, the faith, simply means the body of Christian truth. The faith means the body of Christian truth. Paul wrote to the Corinthians as well and said to them, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the what? The faith. Paul writes and says to Timothy in 2 Timothy that the last days, uh, that in the last days will come people who will deny the faith. Interesting. So the faith is a couple of words that means the body of Christian truth, the true teachings of Christ. Jude basically says this. I wanted to write to you guys about common salvation, but I felt it necessary to load your ammo. I feel it necessary basically to tell you to put up a good fight for the faith. Again, contend means to put up a good fight, put up a good fight uh, uh, for the faith. What does he say at the end of verse three? Look along, look in your Bibles, ready? What does he say? He says once for all. Come on, say it loud with me. Once for, once for all, say it. All right, yeah. So what that means is by A.D. 100, 100 A.D., Jude was, uh, Jude was actually written between 60 and 80, 60-80, 80 A.D. It's 80 A.D., it's kind of hard. <laughs> uh, by, by the first century, though, listen, the, the, by the first century, Everlast, the body of Christian truth in, in its totality was, depo- was deposited, completed, finished. So if somebody says to you, you know, well, I don't know, the church, the church, they've always been wrong. And you know what? The last several hundred years, God, God has given us new revelation and, and, and revelation for today. Y'all, Everlast, that's false. That's completely false. Hang in there with me, all right? This is where you get things like the Book of Mormon, okay? Or whatever cult or false teaching there is. They're literally denying what this verse in Jude is saying. They're literally denying it. According to Jude, Everlast, the faith, meaning the Christian truth, was deposited once and for all. Done. Finito. How do you... Here's the question. How do you square up, you know... um, a quote-unquote new revelation with God, a.k.a. the Book of Mormon, or whatever false teaching, right? How do you square that up with once for all? How do you square that up? Once for all. But Kev, does that, if you might ask Kev, does that mean, does that make revelation a bad thing? Well, to answer that question, I would say no. No. But Everlast is so important. It's important that revelation from God is clearly understood and ultimately filtered through His Word. Allow me to explain, all right? Overall, there's two types of revelation. Two types of revelation. You've got general revelation and special revelation, okay? General revelation and special revelation. 
in regard to general revelation. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. Love this psalm. It's on the screen. Follow along with me. I'm going to read it out loud. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So, everlasting, according to this passage, God's existence and power can be clearly seen through observing the universe. Think about it, y'all. The order. The order. This world is spinning thousand miles an hour, yet gravity keeps us. We're here, right here. We're not just like, whoa. You know, we're here. The, think about it, though. Like the intricacy. It's mind blowing. The wonder of creation, y'all. It speaks to the existence of a powerful and glorious Creator. General revelation is also taught in Romans chapter one, verse twenty. It's going to be on the screen. Follow along. Check it out. It's also here. For since the creation of, uh, of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. It's powerful. So Romans chapter 1 verse 20 is teaching that God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen and understood from what has been made and that there is no excuse for denying these facts. So with this scripture in mind, perhaps a working definition of general revelation would be this. Check it out. The revelation of God to all people at all times and in all places that proves that God exists and that he is intelligent, powerful, and transcendent. Special revelation is how God has chosen to reveal himself through miraculous means. Miraculous means. Special revelation includes different physical appearances of God, aka Moses in the burning bush, um, dreams, visions, the written word of God, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. Of primary, y'all, listen, of primary importance though, in, in the revealing of God is his word, the, the, the Bible. Which is also, uh, y'all, you have to know this. Like, this is a form of special revelation from God. Like I shared at the beginning, they're not God miraculously. God the authors of Scripture inspiring them to correctly record His message to mankind. But what's cool is while still using uh, their own styles and, and personalities, I, I love that. The Word of God is living and active. That's Hebrews 4.12. Um, the Word of God is inspired, profitable, and sufficient. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God determined to have the truth regarding Him. Listen to this. God determined to have the truth regarding Him recorded in written form because He's obviously so wise and He's, he's all wise. And he knew, that in the, he knew the inaccuracy and unreliability of like oral tradition. It's kind of like the game telephone, right? He plays a kid. You know, you may play it now, whatever floats your boat. That, uh, uh, that, let, let's say you're in a circle, like even this the size of like, this, this crew, but let's just say like it was like the size of 20 people or something. And one person starts at the beginning with a phrase or a sentence, right? Uh, and and they, they whisper that to the second person. And that second person, once hearing it, shares it with, whispers it to the, uh, the, the same sentence and phrase to the third person and so on. 
And by the end of the game, the original phrase and sentence is completely different than how it started. And you always had those kids or those people that would throw in something else just to make it funny. I'm pretty sure I always, always, always threw the word poop in or something. You know, just I'm a little punk. Uh, anyways, God, God, check it out though. God in his wisdom knew the inaccuracy and unreliability of this. So he had it recorded in a written form. He also understood, y'all, that dreams and visions of man can be misinterpreted due to the, car- cannot, the carnality and, and, and the weakness of our flesh. So God decided to reveal everything that humanity needs to know about him, what he expects, and what he has done for us in his word that is the Bible. So awesome. It's so awesome. Don't hear what I'm not saying, though, Everlast. To reiterate, having revelation isn't inherently bad. No, it's easy to just misunderstand the word revelation. By definition, the word revelation means a surprising and previously unknown fact, especially one that is made known in a traumatic way. Truth is, y'all, we, we learn new things all the time, all the time. God shows us revelation in so many things throughout life, but it should always line up with and stem from his word. Okay? God will reveal himself and, and, and give special revelation. Like, yeah, I, I could give you so many examples. Like, honestly, the moment when I sink my teeth into a ribeye steak, I'm blown away. Explosion of flavor on thousands of taste buds on my tongue, which, by the way, I can't even see because they're so tiny. But to think that how huge my God is creating the universe and yet is detailed in creating taste buds for me in order that I don't just enjoy a steak, but ultimately enjoy his goodness. Okay. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or y'all, there's been many times I've seen revelation, uh, had special revelation where the Holy Spirit it brings a special revelation uh, when I'm, I'm doing something over and over and over and I, and I just can't get it. It reminds me of this scene. Oh, Michael Scott's so proud at the end right then. Like, See you guys. Um, y'all, like, in all honesty, I've done something as petty as trying to make a basket or trying to play a song right on my guitar or reminding someone to do something for, for the hundredth time or whatever. As cheesy as it may sound, y'all, the Holy Spirit will remind me of God's word in these scenarios and fresh revelation and like Romans 12, 12, rejoice and hope, be patient in tribulation. <laughs> be constant in prayer. It's crazy, y'all, like how... These seemingly little moments God uses as tools of his redemptive grace to help mold me into the man of, of God that he wants me to be. So with that, y'all, I'm honest. I, I know that I'm personally trying to always find a word of encouragement and a special revelation and everything because it will ultimately point me to Christ and his goodness and his faithfulness. Y'all, end of the day, there's nothing more revelatory than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more revelatory. Everlast, the miracle that God, the miracle that the God of the universe, the creator of it all, Jesus, was born of a virgin, lived a life on earth among us, messed up, wrecked up sinners to be tempted by 
all the sin, we're tempted by as sinners, yet he never gave into any sin. What? But rather, you know, he was crucified by us sinners so that we can have salvation and an eternal right standing relationship with God. The second, y'all, that can't, that can't just, that can't be mundane to you. And unfortunately in the West, unfortunately in our Americanized lives, it, it, it's, it's just like, at times it's just like, it's like gray. It's like just, yeah, I know it. It shouldn't be that way. We should, if it is, plead with the Holy Spirit to revitalize your heart. That when you hear something like that, you're leaping out of your seat. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Don't feel condemned in that. But let the Holy Spirit convict you in that and change your heart in that. So that you get, like, amped for the gospel of Jesus. Here's the truth. Sometimes we don't need more revelation. Sometimes we need to just obey what has already been revealed to us. God will not entrust us with more if we're unwilling to act upon what we have now. Amen. Listen, by the way, I love that. I love it. Our sister Taylor, I love it. Listen, listen, this is a free space. If you want to say amen, I'm just, just this is off the cuff. This is free. Say it. Where the spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. This is a, it's a great way to build each other up and encourage. And I would say amen to So. Let, let's just leave it on the screen for those who maybe want to take that on or take a picture or whatever note, whatever the case may be. But let me ask you this question as it's on the screen. Do you live your life through the revelation of God's word? Do you live your life through the revelation of God's word? Okay, where are my teachers at? <laughs> teachers, raise your hand. Yeah. Yes. Give it up for your teachers, y'all. So cool. All right, you have a rubric, right? A rubric. And the rubric, listen, y'all, tells you the layout of how the assignment should be done. A student can't come to the teacher and decide how they want to do the assignment. You can't just say, I did the assignment. One day, by God's grace, my wife and I, we, we hope to have kids. And, and here's what I will say to my son one day. I will say, son, I don't want to see your work and until you answer this question, did you follow the rubric? Did you follow what was assigned? If you didn't follow the rubric, I'm not looking over it. Did you just write what you want? Or did you follow and make sure that the teacher's instructions in the assignment was actually invested and soaked in your paper? If it's not there, don't bring it to me. By the way, this isn't me being a future like harsh dad. No, that's me being an intentional Caring dad, full of healthy discipline because, because I love my son. I'll tell my son, don't create your own way that you think you should, you know, that it should be done. If the teacher said, do it like this, well, that's the way you freaking have to do it. <laughs> right? Sorry. I, so if I, I used to be a medic, and if I decided to do my own ways of, 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 of working on a patient, that, that's ludicrous, right? No, I follow what my paramedic instructor and director told me to do it. It's simple, Everlast. Everlast, God isn't a God to say, you can do marriage how you want to do marriage. That you can do relationships 
how you want to do relationships. When it comes to God and the way he wants things done, he has a rubric. And the rubric is this book. It's an ancient rubric that has not failed. God's rubric is more than enough everlast. Can I get a witness? Listen, I know somebody has said, yep, it's an old book, but this old book has been keeping me. Because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Y'all, we have to know our word. Why? Well, the Bible isn't there to get more Bible. The Bible is there to get more God. Jude's letter, I would say, is even all the more applicable in today's meistic culture, where everyone has their whole world wrapped around themselves. Y'all, we are a culture full of self-righteousness. And I would say this not to just be like a false sense of humility for the sake of the sermon or whatever. No, y'all, I'm self-righteous often. And it sucks. It's, it's nasty. It's not a good thing. It needs to be repented of. And we receive the, the abounding grace of Jesus in that. But I really believe we're in a culture full of self-righteousness. As a matter of fact, so much of our disappointment in relationships is not because we have an unrealistic view of others, but because we have a distorted view of ourselves. When you admit that there are few, when you actually admit that there are few struggles in others that don't exist in some way in your life as well, you are very much so, like Judas saying, contending for the faith and building yourself up, building yourself upon your most holy faith, like he wrote. Jude's Jude's letter is, is also even all the more applicable in today's world that is filled with even more false teaching and religions. Y'all. Everlast, you you have to be careful what you listen to and ultimately receive. You have to. Just because you hear a 30-second clip on Instagram doesn't mean, you know, that that made you feel awesome or something. Doesn't mean that it's, you know, true, let alone actually good for you. Now, I'm not, I'm definitely not like an expert when it comes to apologetics and stuff, but by God's grace, you know, and and the the Holy Spirit self, I've grown and you know, step by step over the years on how to contend for my faith and recognize false teachings and meet it with the actual truth of Christ. But, but honestly, Everlast, that, it takes much repetition, much prayer, and much study. I've been doing this ordination process here at this church for the past, like, couple years or so. I don't know, it seems longer, I don't know. But, but, uh, uh, but man, um, here's the thing. When you're reading the Word, don't just get through it. Let it get through you. Uh, Paul Hilker, he's in our worship ministry. He said, he always says, Kevin, read the Bible until the Bible reads you. That's even a little shorter way of putting it. I love that. Listen, y'all, the days of quick coffee cup Bible verses has to be over. It has to be over. I've worked with collegiate students and young adults for many years now. And let me tell you something. There's an overall immaturity that I believe the enemy is having a heyday with. I'm about to say something that I absolutely do not want to come across as condemning or legalistic in the slightest bit. And honestly, Everlast, what I'm about to say, I like, in praying for tonight, I've asked the Holy Spirit to filter this into my heart. But think about it. What would happen if you carried a real Bible everywhere you went, just like your phone? What if like your phone, you flip through the Bible over and over throughout the day? What, it, what would happen if, you know, 
your idle time wasn't filled with mindless scrolling, but purposed reading. Fun reading. Enjoyment. What would happen if you read your Bible as, as much or more than you read your phone? What would happen if you left your house in the morning and you forgot your Bible? And you're like, like, turn around. I make sure I didn't leave my Bible. Because the truth is, you know, we all feel honestly like naked and overall off if we don't have our phone on us all the time, 24-7. That's idolatrous. We've got such attachments to us that we're afraid to, like, address. Don't be, no. Walk in faith. Ask the Spirit to help. Repent of it. Y'all, wouldn't it be great if we had the same, (gasps) I left my Bible at home. (laughs) You know, like, as, as with our phones, right? But let me say this too, y'all, our relationship with Jesus isn't and shouldn't be a forced relationship. Mm -mm. I feel like a lot of the time when we spend time with Jesus, we feel like he's like grading us on what we feel or how much we know or how much time we actually spend with him. Y'all, God isn't critical towards us. He's not critical towards us. So we have to have, what do we, so what does that mean? We have to have a right view of God. And at times, I've known Jesus a long time now, by God's grace, so thankful but at times I still get this incorrect view of God because of sin or immaturity or self-righteousness, whatever the case may be. Jude is in essence imploring us to fight for this. Well, fight for what, Kev? Listen, my wife over here is everything to me. I love her so much. I, I, I've committed my life to her, but I didn't commit my life to her on our wedding day only to never talk to her or sit with her or spend time with her ever again. That's, that would be stupid, right? No, I feel like we... We fight, (laughs) I feel like we fight to get in the relationship initially, right? Like all those dudes that drive, you know, 50 miles. You talk on the phone for three hours, you know. You drive 50 miles just to give you her favorite flowers and and her favorite color M&Ms. But once the relationship starts, then comes selfishness, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, control, manipulation, uh, 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 slothfulness, apathy, laziness, etc. So you see what happened here, right? We fight to get in the relationship, but when we're in the relationship, we don't continue to fight for the relationship. So this begs the question, do you fight for your affection for Jesus? Do you fight for it? What are things in your life right now that are completely robbing you of your affections for the one who died for your sin and gave you salvation? Oh, free salvation, by the way. Do you fight for your affection for Jesus? Let me ask you another question. Do you fight for your time with Jesus? Do you fight for your time with Jesus? I think about all the time when it comes to a new movie coming out or a vacation I'm planning or whatever. I'll spend money, spend time, make time, and overall fight for all these things. Are these things bad? No. But they can become bad, right? It's so crazy how the overall temporal created things created by our Creator can become such idols in our lives. When all these things are simply meant to point us to our Creator, the truth and fact everlasts that the God of the universe actually wants to spend time with us, should make us fight, And not just fight, but look forward to spending time with Him more than anything else. Anything else. But unfortunately, it's because of our sinful tendencies and with these created things that we constantly spend time with that have robbed us of our affection that make us not only lackadaisical, but simply like just forgetful of God. 
Do you fight for your time with Jesus? Man. So going on in our text, Jude gives three examples of those who turned from truth in the Old Testament. They did not contend. They did not fight for their relationship with God. He does this in verses 5 through 16. For time's sake, we can't unpack all these three examples completely, but let me just give you a quick snapshot. Cool example. He talks about one, the nation of Israel, and then two, fallen angels, and then three, Sodom and Gomorrah. Y'all, it's like so huge. There's, a, there's so much there. Please do yourself a favor and, and, and savor it and, and read it later and, and jump in. But as a whole, Everlast, Jude drills down and poetically talks about the fate of all of these examples, you know, their immorality and their false doctrine which actually then takes us to Jude 17. He then says this, Jude 17. He says, but you must remember, beloved. Do y'all see that tender touch there? But you, beloved. He's basically saying this. He's saying, I'm, I'm telling you how bad these false, in, uh, these false teachers and prophets are, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, follow along with me. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Verse 20, but you, there it is again, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Y'all, he's basically saying, since these apostates, Right? They renounced faith. Come in and tear down your faith. It's vitally important for you to always be building up your faith. Verse 21, he says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Oh, I love that. I love that, y'all. What this is not saying is keep yourself where God can love you. Okay? Right? Keep yourselves in the love of God isn't saying that you know, keep yourselves where God can love you. No, that's, that's, that's not right. Because listen, I hope you know this. God loves you no matter what place you're at. You might be the worst person in the room, the most ungodly person, the most sinful person, the most apostate person. God loves you. When it says keep yourselves in the love of God, the idea is to keep yourself in a place where you experience the love of God. To keep yourselves in the boundaries where you are, check this out, enjoying the blessing of God. An illustration I like to use uh, right now is an umbrella. Ella, Ella, A. Um, but kidding. But, but, but really, check it out. You can be in bright sunlight, like bright sunlight. Uh, it rained a whole lot in the last few weeks and sun finally came out. And, you know, maybe it's a spring day, right? Like it's high 60s and the sun feels so good on your face, you know, after a cold winter here in the Springs. But then you raise an umbrella and suddenly you aren't feeling the effects of the sun, right? So in essence, you're not keeping the sun away. You're just keeping yourself from enjoying the sun, right? So you can put up an umbrella of sin. You can put up an umbrella of something that caused you to not really experience, let alone enjoy the love of God. That's the overall idea of keeping yourselves in the love of God. You're building yourselves up. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says this, Charles Spurgeon says, When the love of God is shed abroad in the heart, the idols will soon depart and the love of sin will take its flight. 
Something else that y'all need to know is this. Everlast, in your relationship with Christ, it has to be more than sin management. Your relationship with Christ is more than sin management. Okay, listen. Holiness is about new affection, not mere sin avoidance. Okay? We are to keep ourselves in God's love in order that we might expel the sin and idols of our hearts with the light of His affection. End of the day, you always have a choice to sin or not. You always do. Question is, when you're tempted, what choice will you make? This isn't on the screen, but author Jerry Bridges, he says this. Listen close. Hone in right here. Everybody look at my hand right here, right? Kidding. No. Hone in, listen. Jerry Bridges says, Our reliance on the Spirit is not intended to foster an attitude of, I can do it, but one of, I can do it through Him who strengthens me. The Christian should never complain of want of ability and power. If we sin, it is because we choose to sin, not because we lack the ability to say no to temptation. Pastor and author David Platt, here with the book Radical, awesome, awesome author. He says this, we, don't, uh, we do not always choose our temptations, but we do choose our reactions to those temptations. Everlast, resisting temptation is a way of keeping ourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourself in God's love begins, check this out, it begins with this, it begins with vision. It begins by asking the Holy Ghost to help us to, to see the Father rightly. And not only see, but, but then to, to believe that the Father's heart towards us, no matter, no matter our circumstances, is for, is, is our, his, his heart towards us is for our ultimate good. Then we follow up with all of that, asking the Holy Spirit to help us obey what God calls us to do. But in order to kill the idols in our hearts and keep ourselves in God's love, we need to recognize His heart toward us um, is one of love and not, like I said earlier, it's not of criticism. It begins here. Seeing the Father's heart as kind, tender, loving, and pleased with us in Jesus Christ. We plead with the Spirit who pours the love of God into our hearts. I love this verse, Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This helps us see and everlasting believe the Father's love rather than our own natural like inclinations or, or notions of what God must be like toward a sinner like me. We have to fight the tendencies of thinking God is keeping record of our wrongs. He's not doing that everlasting. And like, God isn't holding a stopwatch when we, when we spend time with Him. He's not clocking it in or out. No, listen, if we mainly associate our relationship with God by how much we don't sin or how much we do sin, we're missing the point completely, completely. Jude ends his letter by reminding us that Christ is the one who keeps us blameless before God, not us in our works. Genuine relationship with God. Our maker, Jude 24, 25. It's the last couple verses. Follow along. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great, I love this, with great joy. To the only God, here's the last verse, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 
Everlast. Jude is a book that not only implores us to fight for our faith against false teachings and teachers, but it implores us to also fight for our relationship with God. Jude can be wrapped up in this statement, I would say. I think it's on screen. Love all people enough to tell them the truth, but you have to love the truth for yourself. May we be a young adult ministry, y'all, that contends for the faith, not renouncing, but rather announcing, right? Announcing the good news of of Jesus, that, that he came to save sinners. May we fight to spend time in the word, fighting for our affection with Jesus, to know God as we view both our sin and his loving grace correctly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.